You're listening to DraftKings Network. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to 2024. It's the first Business of Sports podcast of the year. Glad to be with you. Hope you had a relaxing holiday. Hope you had a uh, fun, happy new year as we rang in with a lot of NFL games going on and then, of course, college football. And here we are recording this on Wednesday, January 3rd. And we're in a new year, 24. Let's make it the best year ever. We are brought to you, as always, by DraftKings, produced by Jack Connell, my music producer. That music here under us is Sam Brandt, and we had a nice time over the holidays out in California. As we get into the new year, I got a lot of Brandt's rants for you. Not a lot, but some heavy ones here going into the year. And as I always say, hope this is a podcast you share with friends. It's unique in the sports business, sports podcast lane and you find something interesting, and you learn something. That's my goal. Make you smarter about sports, make you deeper understanding than you have listening to other podcasts. That's my goal. hope it works. Let's get right into it. We're going to start with an NFL owner, as we always seem to do. David Tepper. Okay, last left him. He had fired Frank Reich, that coach of the Carolina Panthers, as of the start of the season, Fired him 11 games in. So 11 games was the tenure for Frank Reich with the Carolina Panthers this year. Hell, Urban Meyer in Jacksonville got 13 games. So now we're less than one and done with some of these coaches. And Tepper is showing that sort of new owner impatience. That was one thing. The other thing, of course, is there are rumors that he either forced or pushed for the team to draft Bryce Young the number one overall pick over C.J. Stroud, over others. We don't know. There's no confirmation of that. But if he did that, obviously this is what he's done, and he's stuck with that quarterback, whether that quarterback has a future or not. It's still too early in his first year, but it doesn't look good. And, of course, to get that quarterback, they mortgaged this year's draft for the first-round pick, which turns out to be the number one pick. In the NFL draft in April, we already know that. That will now revert to the Chicago Bears, who have made two trades, over, who will now have the first pick two years, one traded to Carolina, one received from Carolina. Here we go. Chicago Bears on the clock. Now, so Carolina, not good. Now, he made a good deal, it seems, when he bought the team, $2.275 billion from a guy who could write a check like that so many funds. And I'll get back to more of that in a minute, but it looks like a good deal, as I said, because a few years later, Denver Broncos double that price, $4.6 billion. And a couple years after, I'm sorry, a year after that, the commanders go for $6.05 billion. Now you have Tepper in five years ago for a third of that price. That looks good. Okay, that's about the only good for Tepper. Tepper now we bring you up to date. He throws a drink. He's frustrated by the Panthers' performance again, <laughs> their whole year. And he throws a drink in Jacksonville at the game and he hits, a, I guess he hit a fan. Someone filmed this. 
And of course, it gets out there. It goes viral on the Internet. There's a lot of talk and social media shaming of the NFL for allowing this to go on. And then we hear a $300,000 fine for David Tepper for doing what he did. He's got this apology, which is couched in PR terms, talking about passionate about his team, talking about stadium security should have gotten involved. Come on. He never apologized. It was one of those, hey, don't don't F with me. I'm an owner kind of apologize. And of course, he gets the $300,000 fine. For someone like him, that's couch cushion money. Doesn't make a difference. Doesn't make an impact. What happened? All right. A couple things to unpack here. Number one, people are saying, well, he should be suspended. Or if it was a player this, it was a player that. Look what happened if this were a player. Well, listen, that doesn't matter anymore. I talked about this in August. The NFL over the summer, quietly, out of the radar, it seemed like no one covered this, changed the personal conduct policy. Unilaterally, either without the union or ignored the union trying to get into it and just changed things. One of the things they changed before we get to this is, well, we can discipline pre-NFL conduct. So a guy has a sexual assault or whatever he has in college, we can discipline that coming in. They could never do that. They can never do that. They also strengthened the sexual assault language in light of the Deshaun Watson fiasco where they couldn't suspend him for a year, which they wanted to do. But to this point, they basically took out language in the personal conduct policy that made owners and management personnel held to the same standard as players. That language is gone. It just disappeared. So what that means is, no, they're not held to the same standard. And owners and management personnel are held to a double standard, different standard. In other words, players, you're the cattle. Management and owners, you're the ranchers. You do what you want. Cattle can't do what they want. They got to be herded. And this is where David Tepper is not judged the same way a player were. Throw a drink as your player and hit a fan? Come on. I don't know about $300,000, but he'll be gone. A game, two games, whatever it is. This is something where we didn't notice. I did, but we collectively didn't notice this at the time. But NFL personal conduct policy was changed. And that allows for Tepper to have this weak discipline of $300,000 and everyone will move on. And there's going to be a hundred different stories about the NFL. So Tepper will skate after this week of being shamed. The other part of this is, do we have our, who the, what is up with this guy owner now that replaces Dan Snyder, who wanted to be called Mr. Who was a stain on the NFL. Who's now removed as he sold the team to Josh Harris this summer. Do we now have our guy? Is it Tepper? It's really the, can you believe this asshole owner, right? When you look at what Snyder did, you think, can you believe this ass? You know, make him call him Mr. And Tepper with this weak ass apology, can you believe this guy? So we may have our new owner that is like out to lunch in terms of how to treat people, how to, how to react with some kind of empathy. And it brings the idea of how do you pick an owner? A lot of people ask me this week, how do the NFL owners pick owners? Well, the number one criteria is net worth, not because it's just simple to pick the guy with the most money. That helps. But you want a guy that can, A, write a check for the team if possible, 
Very few can do that with the numbers now. But Tepper could. I was told he could write the $2 billion check to buy the Panthers. That puts you ahead of most people. And you want to have these substantial resources. Listen, owners want to check the box. They want to know, well, if we go with this guy and the problems come up, he's got means. He's got resources. He's got the word they use, capacity, to solve these problems. And how do you solve problems? With money. So the NFL owners are on the hook for a lot of things, whether it's a concussion settlement, a settlement with the city of St. Louis on carpet bagging that team out of there. A lot of things going on, but it's great to have an owner with resources. So yes, the number one thing they look for is net worth, money. How much can you, what's your capacity for getting out of problems? And that's the best way to get out of them. As a collective group, the NFL brethren, it is money. Okay. David Tepper, shamed, $300,000. Pittance, could he be the, who the heck is this asshole guy? He may be right now. He has replaced Dan Snyder as that guy. Okay. Let's move to the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson. I talked about this some last week, but I've got more information. I've dived into it. Dove dived. I've dove into it. I've dove into it. Uh, I got a column up on Sports Illustrated right now, all about the inside, the, what, the Russell Wilson negotiations. Okay. A few things to say about this. Some of this is a little repetitive from last week, but I got a lot more information. Number one, it proves what I say all the time is that even for the best of the best, it never ends well. This is the, it's, it's such a cold business. It doesn't end well. Over the past couple of years, who have we seen it not end well for with their team where they were the face of the franchise for so long? Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, Philip Rivers. That's a pretty good group. That's four faces of the franchise for decade plus. Drew Brees, now he didn't go to another team, but he's gone. And that, that may be a strict retirement, but this is happening. And with Russell, it's two teams. It's the Seahawks, where he wanted out, and they kind of wanted out too. And now the Broncos, what was supposed to be a long seven-year run, is now a two-year run, and he's going to be out. The other thing that it proves is that I, I say and shout this from the mountaintops every year, these contracts are not what they appear to be. This was a seven-year deal. It was two years left on the contract, five-year extension, seven years through like the end of the decade. And he's not going to be a Bronco for two more for after two weeks. Right. So this becomes a two year deal meant to be a seven year deal. And then, of course, the guarantees. We'll get to that in a second. So Russell Wilson is out. And we can get into the reasons why maybe it just wasn't a fit with Sean Payton. But Sean Payton knew what he's getting into. Sean Payton had other offers. He chose Denver and Denver meant Russell Wilson. But now he seems all out. The, the, the Broncos were all in on Wilson. All in. They traded two high firsts, two high seconds, and three players. And Seattle got that bounty from them. And now they're all out. <laughs> you know, it just shows you. It just happens so fast. And again, nothing is as it appears in the NFL. Russ Wilson's going to be out. Now, let's start with the ask. This is what's gotten a lot of attention. And now it's confirmed by Wilson and his agent. 
on October 31st, during the bye week, the Broncos came to Wilson to try to move back a date in the contract. And let me explain. Wilson has three years guaranteed. He didn't get the full guarantee like Deshaun Watson got. He got three of the seven years guaranteed. That means last year, this year, next year, fully guaranteed. Okay. He didn't get more than three years. But to Wilson's credit, to his agent's credit, they got a kicker for 2025, the fourth year, that activates in the third year. In other words, right now, 2025, the fourth year, is only injury guaranteed, meaning it only pays out if Wilson suffers a serious injury, can't play that year. Those have very little value, really happens. But 2025 becomes guaranteed in March of 2024. So all Wilson had to do to get to a year four guarantee was get to year three. The Broncos, seeing that they don't really want to get tied into year four and want to just rent Wilson another year before they decide, meaning next year, decide they want to push that date back from March of 24 guaranteeing 25 to March of 25 guaranteeing 25. And they have the balls to do it. They go to Wilson and his agent around Halloween and they say, listen, let's move that date back a year. And I'm sure Wilson and his agent say, why in the world would we do that? And they say some version of, if you don't, we'll demote you. We'll demote you. (laughs) And Wilson's like, wait, what? If you don't, we will no longer have you as a starting quarterback, the Denver Broncos. So Mark Rogers, the agent who's been on this program, wouldn't come on this week, but will come on soon, goes to the union. And the union involves outside counsel. You know who that is, super lawyer, longtime NFL antagonist, Jeffrey Kessler. And they are started, now we got letters about violating the CBA and all of this stuff. And I don't know if that's the reason, but then Denver does not demote him until last week when they do demote him. So he went seven weeks without being demoted, even though he was told he was going to be demoted by turning down that request, demand, ask for moving the date. And he's still a starting quarterback until now, or he's not a starting quarterback. And make, make, make no doubt about it, he will be cut. Okay, so what we have is a ask by the team. I said this last week, I'll say it again. I am not as aghast as others, that the Denver Broncos would do this. Listen, contract negotiations don't end with a negotiator on the contract. They continue. And there are, you know, what could be called side discussions about the contract throughout the contract. Sometimes it's from the team. Sometimes it's from the player. Sometimes it's a request for adjustment. This was a request for adjustment. And yes, it's adverse. It's not nice to hear. And it had a threat attached to it. But I don't get too exercised about it. I I see it. It happens. I did this for 10 years on the team side. And I had to go to players and agents with adverse requests. The most common one was, we need you to take a pay cut. That's not nice. (laughs) You know, sometimes it was kind of a medium request where, We need some cap room, just bonus out the salary. You get the same money, same time. So paper transaction doesn't mean anything. But when you're asking for a pay cut, not a pay restructure with a cap, like a cash cut, that's hard. But I knew 
if I asked for a pay cut, I had to say, what's the or else? And the or else would be they'd be cut. They'd be released from the team. And I knew that if they said no to the pay cut, I couldn't come back and say, my bad, sorry. Let's keep going. No, I'd say you're cut. Because if you don't do that, you lose all credibility. And I think the Broncos lost credibility here. Because they asked for X, and if you don't do X, we're going to do Y. Well, he didn't do X, and they didn't do Y. So the Broncos lost the Broncos were hurt two ways here. Number one, now they come off as being hard asses, playing hardball, not nice people to their best players. Number two, they come off with a lack of execution, showing a lack of credibility. They're going to ask for things. If they don't get it, they're going to back off, which they clearly did here. Now, maybe they backed off on their own. Maybe the union or Jeffrey Kessler got them a little bit cowed, but it happened. So here we are. (laughs) And Russell Wilson, we're in the same place that they wanted to be at the end of October, but it took till the end of December or January to do it. So Russell Wilson now faces release. Now, what about the cap and cash impacts of this release? Well, in the cash, I always talk about the difference between cap and cash. This is a good example. Cash is cash. That's easy, right? So he's owed $39 million next year. Done. It's on the hook. Now, it's an offset guarantee. If Wilson goes to another team, that offsets the $39 million obligation. He could sign for the minimum at a little over a million, which means $38 million is the financial obligation of the Broncos. He could sign for $20 million, meaning the Broncos only have $19 million left. But interesting, I think what could be done is, you know, Wester Wilson could sign a contract for minimum next year, but guarantees are big numbers the year after. That could really help him out and and sort of stick it in the face of the Broncos. I would expect that to happen. Okay. Cap. There's no good good outcomes for the Broncos with the cap. This is $85 million, right? With all the stack proration, the unamortized bonus, where they went all in on this contract a year and a half ago, they're stuck. They're stuck. You know, Russell Wilson, they're stuck. $85 million of dead money. Now, they're not going to take it all this year. You know, so if they traded him, they would have to take that. But they're going to put him on the designated for release, which would happen on June 1, and it would spread the cap. So it's basically going to be about uh, $35 million this year. $35 million, dead cap. I'm sure he'll be the highest, paid, highest cap player on the Broncos. But think about this. $50 million. Fifty, five zero in 2025. 50 million. So Russell Wilson will be a year and a half removed from being on the Broncos and he'll be counting 50 million on the Broncos cap. Amazing. What, what a mess. You know, I always wonder about this in March of 2022, it just seemed like Aaron Rodgers was going there, right? They hire Rodgers confidant, Nathaniel Hackett. Rodgers has been grumbling as he always does about the Packers and we just thought that would happen. And then in a matter of a day, Aaron Rodgers re-ups with the Packers for a huge deal, which the Packers are still on the hook cap-wise for. And they pivot to Wilson and give this gargantuan blockbuster trade to the Seahawks for Wilson. They went all as all in as any team has been on a player in a while. It happened. <laughs> okay. I don't know what happened. There's got to be a good backstory to what happened between Rodgers going there Maybe Gutekunst, the Packers, were not willing 
to go to Jordan Love just yet. He needed three years, more, not two years, but it happened. I thought Aaron would leave last year and it took a year late. Okay, that's Wilson. Hope you got a good deep dive on that and have a better understanding of it. Obviously, any questions and, you know, you can ask me. A couple other rants before we close up this opening of 24 edition of the of the business of sports end of year this is the last weekend of the nfl season we're gonna have a lot of teams resting players right uh playoff seeds are wrapped up uh teams are out of it want to look at new players and a lot of players will sit now that will affect incentives and that's something that i guess players especially on good teams have to recognize there's not something where you adjust the contract after the team clinches this playoff spot. And I just, I have dealt with this. We at the Packers had, had uh, clinched a couple times and that seven, 16th game back then, now 17th game was meaningless. And we rested players and I would have players and agents come at me sometimes on the field and say, what about my bonus? Cause what I did was a lot of per game roster bonuses. So as long as you're active, you get the bonus. Well, these players were inactive and they won. And I said, I can't help you. And it was unfair to them because we were just sitting them to protect ourselves <clears throat> against injury for the playoffs. But it, on the other hand, they had to anticipate that we're a good team. Now, in a case that was extreme, I won't say which player, I did adjust the contract the next year to get them that money back. But these are all the unintended consequences that people don't think about on the last week of the season where you have performance bonuses, but mainly the per game roster bonus, which could be a lot of money the way I structured things. Um, so that's out. A couple other things. Number one, the saints are already on their way. They're, they're moving around cap. They're moving cap into 24, 25. Uh, this is what they do. Death taxes and the saints pushing back cap expenses. I always say it's not the way I would manage the cap. I tried to pay as you go, not push things too far in the future. It's what they do and it's how they run things. I am a, opposed to that manage that form of cap management. A lot of teams do it and are stuck in places they have to do it. The Packers have done it the past couple of years. The Rams, of course. Uh, you're just going to go through these these troughs, which I never wanted to do. You know, you always want to keep a team that is good, if not great, or great. You don't have a team that goes great to bad and stays bad because of cap holes due to all this restructuring in prior years. Just my thought. And the last thing I'll say is the officiating, people are still talking about the Dallas-Denver game on Saturday night and players reporting or not reporting. Listen, there are so many officiating discussions in the news over the past year in the NFL couple things. Number one, it doesn't affect attendance. I, it doesn't affect viewership. All right. All we do, and I put we in this, me, is watch and complain about these officials and come back and watch and complain about these officials. I'm one of millions that complain about the officials, but I will not turn away. Right. NFL knows this. And bitching about the officials puts it in the news, puts it in the in the circulation, puts it on social media. They're talking about your league. I always say this, the NHL, Major League Soccer, even baseball, they wish there was as much bitching about officiating as there is in the NFL, NBA too. Like, that's great, right? 
And then finally, I'll just say that I say this every, I've said this on this podcast a thousand times, take the human error out of human, take the human out of human error and officiating. Maybe it couldn't be done on that play where the player reports, but Jesus, there is so much money in the NFL and so primitive officiating, you know, to spot a ball. Uh, two old guys come from 50 yards away, put their foot down. I think it, I think he landed there, right? First downs, the ones that just confound me. Two sticks and a chain, right? Two sticks and a chain. Where does the stick start? Oh, started here. Looks good here, right? <laughs> Bring it out on the field. Oh, looks good here. This spot right here, right? Why are we not doing this? Tennis used to have linesmen, now has no linesmen. All electronic. Can you do that on a football field? Probably not. Can you do some of that? Yes. Even watching the college games. You know, there's a replay. We don't go to commercial for five minutes. We don't mess around. You know, within a minute, the guy comes back and says, oh, okay. Same same call or reverse call. Even college gets it right. In college, by the way, these bowl games have way too many commercials. I know Dr. Pepper, you know, but they're hard to watch. Okay. That's it. That's my opening podcast for 2024. Newsletter, andrew-brandt.com is back this week. with It'll be a good one. Sports Business League, if you want videos every day. Of course, my column, the Russell Wilson thing I discussed here, is up at Sports Illustrated. Um, follow me on Instagram or do reels, Andrew Brandt too. Of course, Twitter, Andrew Brandt. Thanks to Jack Connell. Thanks to Sam Brandt, my musical producer. Thanks to you for listening. I appreciate every one of you, and I appreciate all the good feedback, even negative feedback that I get. You can always give me feedback at Andrew uh, Andrew at Andrew-Brandt.com. If you want to support the podcast, Andrew-Brandt-20 on Venmo. Have a great week, everybody. I'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.